When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week 10 in the books in the ACC. We're uh, we're about a day late here. We've got some parental duties we've been dealing with, but uh, how you doing? You ready to go? You ready to talk about some games? I haven't slept in like a month, it feels like. Oh, you just wait. You just wait. Try having two um, and two dogs, right? Well... <laughs> I'm told it takes about 18 years to be able to sleep well again. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. we'll see. We're almost there. Yeah. The great thing about being a parent is you just get to like worry until you're dead. So that's fun. <laughs> what a life. Yep. What a life. Mike, we, uh, we have games to talk about from week 10 and there is really only one place that we could possibly start. And this is something that I only get to do once a year. So let's make sure that we, uh, we do this right. <clears throat> here is your winner and the new basketball conference podcast real tech champion georgia tech 28 the virginia tech hokies 27 my yellow jackets in a uh, a kind of improbable fourth quarter comeback here a uh, a big win for them and for brent key uh, Zach Pyron, the true freshman uh, far from a finished product but very gutsy effort very happy there Mike, your Hokies, not a, uh, not a not a game you feel good about driving home and, uh, and considering all that was and all the opportunities that they had. This team sucks. <laughs> Scott Is that play a technical the, term? Scott, play the music. M-I-C-K-E-Y. M-O-U-S-E. M-I-C-K-E-Y. M-O-U-S-E. This team sucks. Uh, they uh speaking of not finished products so virginia tech has been outscored 24 to nothing over the last two fourth quarters they've played in against nc state and against georgia tech um i was getting into a discussion on twitter not in the dms out for everybody to see i want to be clear about that that's important um people use the dm feature these days uh yeah, apparently players and coaching staffs. <laughs> the, um, so I was having a conversation with somebody. They were asking me, you know, if I thought that, you know, Virginia Tech being two and seven, you know, it, it's the existential like chicken or the egg. Like, is this Fuente's fault? The answer is like, I mean, partially, but also like he did not leave a two and seven football team behind, right? So we've had this conversation right. with Miami, for example, with Mario mm-hmm. Cristobal. They had we'll a nice get weekend, there. Huh? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think, yeah, might need to, that's like a death penalty game for the Miami football program. I can. Um, yeah, I can. The, uh, I, we, we had this conversation about Miami, right? Where it's like, 
it didn't have to be this bad, but it's like on a different scale. Like it didn't have to be year zero. That's not really what we thought with Virginia Tech. We knew this was going to be kind of a rough year. We knew it was going to be kind of a, a year zero-ish situation for Brent Pry, given depth issues on the roster, some of the starting talent not being where it should be. But this team's win total was at six and a half in Vegas. Like this was not supposed to be a team that was two and seven right joey said four joey said four wins and he's going to be wrong mm-hmm. like <laughs> this team this team might go two and ten i i don't think they're going to win a game the rest of the way i i i kept talking about the uva game at the end of the year saying yeah tech will win that game i'm not sure they're going to win that game either like this is really 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 bad and it didn't have to be this bad so when I got asked that on social media, I said, this team could easily be five and four. And people kind of looked at me sideways. But then you think about it, Virginia Tech had a multiple score lead against Georgia Tech on Saturday. They had a multiple score lead on the road against NC State last Thursday. Mm-hmm. They turned the ball over five times and and still almost beat Old Dominion in the opener. They let a they let them drive down the field in the final minute and score to lose that game. Tech almost won that game in spite of themselves. So when you think when you really think about it, as bad as Virginia Tech has been, they are literally like a mere like touchdown away from being five and four. Mm-hmm. And it's sickening to think of it that way because this team sucks. I don't want to, I don't want anybody to think of this in like bowl team terms because this team isn't doing nearly enough right across the board. Right, like any time they have an opportunity to put a football game away this year, they don't. They didn't even really do it against Wofford, if we're being honest with ourselves. Like, Tech could have blown Wofford out of the stadium, and they let Wofford just kind of hang around. Tech was never in danger of losing that game. They were up multiple scores the entire time, but they did not put the game away. They don't have the killer instinct to step on the opponent's throat when they go up multiple scores. The most troubling thing about this is that the last two weeks, it was against freshman quarterbacks. MJ Mm -hmm. Morris with NC State on the road, and then Zach Pyron on Saturday in Lane Stadium. This loss is worse than the NC State loss for two reasons. Number one, NC State's a better football team. Number two, Zach Pyron coming into a road environment shouldn't be that comfortable in the pocket. He shouldn't be making all these plays in the fourth quarter with his legs and with mm-hmm. his arm. He looked like a veteran quarterback in the second half of this football game on Saturday. And Virginia Tech, for their defense, everybody's been talking about the Brent Pride defense. You know, they've been playing, you know, above where a lot of people thought they were. And I still think that's probably the case. But in the fourth quarter, this defense collapsed. And it's the second week in a row they've done that. And I get it's kind of like offense has been playing poorly, right? Defense gets tired right in the second half of games and they just kind of fold up that third and 17 play there's no excuse third and 19 (laughs) no excuse no excuse for that i mean that was that was busted that was busted coverage right at the middle of the field no excuse like Mm -hmm. that should that should not happen right so that's just on the surface and then you couple that with the fact that you got you got members of the Virginia Tech football team as players going into the DMs of journalists. You got the coaching staff, the head coach going into the DMs of journalists asking for more positive coverage. No, buddy, that's not how this works. Objectively speaking, (laughs) you're not doing your job. Like, you are not doing your job. This is, this is pointed out. The thing that you've pointed out, by the way, right, is you know, you said Justin Fuente didn't leave behind a, a five and seven, a four and eight football team, a, a two and seven football team, whatever we want to call it. 
And that's that's right. And we've talked about how there's roster issues and stuff here, but like it is also November and Virginia Tech is continuing to shoot themselves in the foot with like procedural penalties and things that are specifically on this coaching staff. This They one. had 10 false starts against NC State. 10. Mm-hmm. 10. This many. 10. They had a f- false they had starts. They had a few pretty poorly timed false starts in this game at home. Yeah. At home. On like They've third been- and medium and now it's a third and long. You know, stuff They're- like that was happening all game long. They are committing inexplicable procedural penalties this year, and a lot of them are occurring at home, where it, there's no excuse when you're on offense to be committing procedural penalties at home like that. It is, it's a total system failure across the board. You want more positive coverage of your football team? Start putting teams away with freshman quarterbacks. That's two weeks in a row that they've done this. Yeah, You're not going to get... Here's the thing. You're not going to get positive... Like Nobody's going to spin this. How do you spin it? Not in a good way. You can't, I mean, this is inexplicably bad. And I have been a defender in year one. I've been a defender of Brent Pry and his staff all year, saying this is going to take some time. I still believe that, right? I still think this coaching staff will figure it out. But with that being said, there are some trends. There are some things that I've seen that give me pause. Mm-hmm. And... I think some of it will be remedied if there's more talent coming through the door, but there's some of it that they got to figure out in house and they got to do it while the talent's not as good. Cause once you bring, if you bring more talent in and you start bringing better players and you're still committing the stupid penalties at home, like the procedural stuff, what's your excuse then you can't all of a sudden say, I inherited a mess. I inherited this. I inherited that. You know, I came in, stuff wasn't where it needed to be. You can't say that anymore, right? If if you're starting to recruit better and the players are better and you're still getting results like this where you're kind of giving games away that you should be winning. Mm-hmm. there, This is... It's a losing culture in Blacksburg. It's way, 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 way worse than I thought. Way worse than I thought. And this coaching staff has made the, has made the situation worse. People are. I've seen, I also saw people on social media saying like, you know, that get rid of Pry, and, and then like other people were saying, which, which is crazy. It's way too early to do that. And I don't know who these Virginia Tech fans think Virginia Tech is. They don't have the money to do that. Mm-hmm. Like they they just paid, they just had to negotiate to pay Fuente like eight or nine million to get him out the door way earlier than they needed to, or than they wanted to. I guess. Um, they're saying, yeah, fire Pry, fire his staff. And then I saw some people on social media saying that, you know, Virginia, some Virginia Tech fans wanted Fuente back. I'm like, where are they seeing this? Like, nobody is, who's, who's saying that? Nobody's saying that. You could think that this season's a mess without saying that Fuente should be the coach. Nobody's saying that. What I've maintained is that Fuente would have gotten more out of this team than Pry has. But I've said Probably. that about a lot of teams in the conference, and that doesn't mean that firing Fuente wasn't the right thing to do. It absolutely was, and it was overdue. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the players play a little bit harder for the guys that recruited them, right? Which is the Very point true. I made about this situation and Manny Diaz at Miami. Um, this is just kind of something that I've been monitoring this year, right? Mm-hmm. So a couple of these new coach situations that have not not gone to to plan here in year one no no um so I, yeah i mean I, I will not be picking virginia tech the rest of the year i 
truthfully, Joey, on the preview, didn't really want to pick them in this game. I had told you that the only reason why I was picking Virginia Tech in this game on Saturday was because Jeff Sims wasn't playing, LOL. Mm -hmm. Uh, Didn't matter. Mm -hmm. So I should have just gone with my gut and gone with the underdog. (laughs) And I will be going with my gut the rest of the year and picking against Virginia Tech. And just mm-hmm. the one thing I will say is I think the players and the coaching staff should spend less time on social media and more time trying to figure out what the hell's going on on the field and in the film room because this is a disaster right now. Yeah. Anybody uh, anybody criticizing Virginia Tech right now is uh, it's not really like part of the problem. They're just ob- observant, right? It's just you're just, you know, what you're watching. I mean, objectively, um, objectively speaking, this team is not any good, and people are calling a spade a spade. Well, if you can't mm-hmm. take that, then you're going to have bigger problems. I mean, this mm-hmm. is not as bad. I mean, I hope this is as bad as it gets on the field, but like, this is as, this is not as bad as like the fan base could be, right? The only reason mm-hmm. why it's not worse is because everybody knows it's year one. Otherwise, this would be way more hostile. That stadium was ninety percent about- full. To start the game in a rainy environment on a twelve thirty nooner, for that these team. fans care, That's man. Impressive. For that two and these fans care. And then I was shocked. These fans I, care, I man. I texted Mike. I was there. I was shocked. That's that's impressive, Mike. You talk about how do you spin this, and I think you meant how do you spin this in a positive way. That I cannot do. Um, how do you spin this in a negative way? I might point out if I was looking to. This is a one point game that should not have been that close. No. Virginia no. Tech scores 14 points in this game. So, by the way, let's just just overall game recap. This Lost was, the plot, sorry. This was both teams being sloppy, and Virginia Tech was sloppier. Like, that's ultimately kind of what this was. Virginia yeah. Tech ran a punt back for a touchdown on one of the numerous punts that Georgia Tech outkicked their coverage on. Holloway set a school record for punt return yards. Yeah, because, yeah, he had open field all day, and he's really good in the open field. And, and Georgia Tech did nothing to stop putting him in the open field. There was that. Uh, Zach Pyron had a pass tipped. He was kind of in his own end zone, threw a pass. It got tipped, uh, caught. He tried to make a tackle on the way down, didn't really make it work. It was like a nine-yard pick six, basically. It was it was easy, easy for the Hokies. That's 14 points right there. And so, by the way, the whole, you know, we both wanted to lock up under 41 and a half. Start doing some <laughs> math on what taking 14 points off the board would have done for that total. Yeah, no joke. Um, <laughs> no joke. I Virginia way, Tech turned the ball. Over. It would have gone, gone under, by the way. Mm-hmm. Sure would have. Uh, Virginia Tech turned the ball over four times in this game. A uh, couple of uh, three fumbles lost uh, and one interception. I mean, just Virginia Tech not taking care of the ball. Georgia Tech outgained the Hokies by 160 yards in this game. Kind of surprising, honestly, because I didn't feel like Tech's offense was really that. And by the way, I, I can say Tech about Georgia Tech now because, you know, real Tech <laughs> yeah, and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't feel like Tech's offense was really all that, like, consistent from drive to drive. It was like there were just like a few drives throughout the game. They really started to put it together. Um, they did end up settling for a number of field goals. And at, at a couple points, it was like, really? Like, you kicked a field goal from the four-yard line, Brent Key? Like, seriously? Turns out every one of those points was needed and, and valued at the end of this game. So it, it ended up working out. What do I know? What do the what do the analytics nerds know? Um, but I, as you said, I mean, Zach Pyron, again, super gutsy effort. I, I thought he did kind of look a little bit like a veteran. He is not a finished product at all. He doesn't always make the right decisions. He... <laughs> To say that he puts himself in harm's way is really just not even doing it justice. Like, 
it's like he goes like looking to get into car crashes almost like he's just throwing his body around and we'll see how much how long that lasts he's I mean, got Tua is, syndrome he just wants yeah. to run people over he's 18 years old he's played like six quarters of football at this level so we'll see how long that lasts but um i mean credit to him for again a, a gutsy effort he scored the game-winning touchdown on a, a qb scramble kind of up the middle i don't think that was a design qb draw i think it was a, a scramble and he just saw a hole ran through it and and dove through a couple of defenders into the end zone for a touchdown but um they came up with just enough big plays on offense really i think to kind of uh, deal with the number of three and outs that they were able to create virginia tech had a massive field position advantage for the first at least the first half if not the first like 40 minutes of this game Uh, because tech's offense couldn't really get moving they kept going like three and out punting Virginia Tech would move it to get a couple first downs maybe punt it and then pin Georgia Tech inside their own like 10 yard line basically um, and so it, it was a uh, pretty dicey situation I felt like for most of the first half but um, in any case I mean a, a good win for Georgia Tech to go on the road weird fact here by the way this is Georgia Tech's fourth straight win in Blacksburg yeah only one of those has involved like their season-long starting quarterback, that being Justin Thomas in 2014. Not the golfer. 2016, right, not the golfer. Um, Also an athlete, very different athlete. Uh, Yes. 2016 was Matthew Jordan. 2018 was not – it was Tobias Oliver. Yeah, they just ran another sweep and got another first down. Um, Yeah, (laughs) they've won three in a row in Blacksburg with backup quarterbacks as – uh, starting quarterbacks were injured coming into the game so the, that's that's the, fun the matthew jordan game in in 16 first of all that was a really good virginia tech team that year and mm-hmm. i was at that game so scott we were tailgating in the parking lot oh, was that Joey. all for those losses you just said yeah that's <laughs> that's that's the stuff that's i'll, the I'll stuff buy your right tickets there. in two years scott that's well, some real four years however many t- years it takes us to play again in blacksburg that's some but, that's some real sicko shit right there <laughs> the um the, the one thing I'll say is we texted you, Joey, about the Matthew Jordan game specifically in 2016, and that was the game where Matthew Jordan played, and Georgia Tech was also without a couple starting offensive linemen, mm-hmm. and Virginia mm-hmm. Tech, I think, was like a seven or an eight-point favorite, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm going to hammer that. I was Same. wrong. I was Same. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is going to be rough for Georgia Tech here. What you I I hammered Virginia Tech pregame. I hammered Virginia Tech again in the first quarter, and maybe again in the second quarter, <laughs> thinking that you know, surely Georgia Tech can't keep this up the full game. Spoiler alert: they did. Yeah, did not go exactly as planned for no. the home faithful, for the wallet, and for yeah that too. <laughs> Could have used those dollars. Absolutely. And now Charlie can't go to college. But, yeah, it's fine. You know, we'll figure it out. I was going to say, how am I going to make the mortgage payment in December? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Georgia Tech wins a sloppy uh, Tecmo Bowl for the final annual version of this game. And the uh, the inaugural and potential only battle of the Brents, Georgia Tech 20, 28, Virginia Tech 27. I'll tell you, brother, brother, it will be, it will be the only battle of the Brents uh, <laughs> if, if this continues the way it's going. <laughs> for for at least one side of the equation so two brents enter one one may leave uh yeah. we're, we're not we're not getting both these guys to 24 that's for I would, sure I, I was gonna say it might not be the brent you're expecting to make it 24 so <laughs> there you go there you go uh let's keep moving but before we do let me remind you about section 103.com it is the internet's premier place for all things wonderful georgia tech apparel 
They have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, something for men, women, children, something for the whole family. They've got the official tech gold. They've got all the official word marks, that ATL logo. I'm wearing one of the performance wear shirts right now. You can see if you're looking on YouTube, by the way, YouTube, go search for some uh, basketball conference on YouTube. Uh, this shirt right here, the official word mark, it's very comfortable, very good material. Uh, very, I think it looks good, and hopefully you guys think it looks good too. Uh, I'm wearing a cask and flagon shirt from outside Fenway Park in Boston. Right, right. So, yeah, Section 103 does not sell those yet, but you know we'll see maybe one day soon. One day right. soon. Use promo code GOACC at checkout for 10% off your first order at, uh, at section103.com. You've made me lose my train of thought, Mike. We're good. We're good. Yep. Um, That's what I do. They, they've got new hoodies, by the way. If you like that sleeveless hoodie thing that Brent Key's been running up and down the sidelines in the last few weeks, you think that looks normal and you want one of those for yourself, uh, those are coming out this week at section103.com. If you pre-ordered one, they're shipping. So I think by the time we're previewing week 11, I should have my, uh, my gray hoodie and able to tell you about how soft it is and how good of a material it is and everything else, if, if my wife hasn't stolen it by then. So we'll see. You think that looks normal? I... I think he looks more like a football coach than Jeff Collins did. We'll say that. <laughs> the but jokes write not the a, jokes just write themselves, don't they? It's not, it's not a high bar to clear, Mike. It's not it a high not. bar to clear. It is not. Use promo code GOACC for uh, 10% off your first order at section103.com. Appreciate Stephen and the gang for their partnership. Mike, one more thing before we get into the rest of these games. And I'm going to do this now because I, I don't want to – I feel like I'm going to ruin it if we do it after the games. But mm-hmm. I can do it also after – the Tecmo Bowl, because it's not really relevant to the Tecmo Bowl, and you'll see what I mean in just a second. There are currently eight, coming coming off of the, the Week 10 ACC games, there are currently eight ACC teams that have achieved bowl eligibility, that have won at least six games. Can you name them, Mike? I mean, it's cheating, because I'm looking at the... Oh! Scott, are you looking at them? No, but I can try to name them. Okay. Okay, there's eight of them. All right. Clemson, NC State, Wake, Duke, North Carolina, Florida State. Did I miss someone? Louisville? I think that's only six. There's seven. Pitt? Did they get there? Uh, No. All right, I missed one. Syracuse, six. I think you named named all of them. You got them. The the point of the game and, and Scott like blew right through it there. But basically, was there are eight there are eight bowl eligible teams. It's it's the entire Atlantic Division minus Boston College. It is North Carolina, and it is Duke. Duke is one of only two Coastal Division teams that is currently bowl eligible. So we'll get to them here in a little bit. But I just before we go through all these games, I, I didn't know if uh, anybody had put that all together that we've got two Coastal bowl eligible teams and one of them is Duke right now. So shout out to the Blue Devils. Just just how everybody drew it up in the preseason. Yeah. You want to just do that game right now? Do that real quick? Let's, yeah, let's, let's hit that right now. Let's go there. Duke 38, Boston College 31 on Friday night. Uh, we were I, I, I feel like if you had told me coming into this game that Duke was going to score 38 points, I would have believed you. Right. That was about right. Yes. If you had told me Boston College was going to score 31 points, I would have said, wait, like, what sport are we talking about again here? Like, how? No chance. Uh, huge shout out to Emmett Moorhead, yeah. the, the stand-in backup quarterback. Shout out to that coaching staff for getting him ready to play. Boston College put up way more of a fight in this game than I thought they would. I got my my wager wrong on Duke as that number grew, uh, but uh, credit to Boston College for making this as much of a game as it was. But the point is, the Duke Blue Devils six and three now. They are going bowling this year, Mike. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's it's a good win for Duke, but like this game was twenty four to fourteen at halftime, and BC mm-hmm. was kind of, or 
PC was hanging around. Duke was keeping him at arm's reach, though. Um, and then, like, the second half just kind of got a little dicey for Duke to the point where I was like, BC's not going to have one of these weird Friday night ACC wins, are they? Um, I was not anticipating this game to be as close as it was. Like you mentioned, Emmett Moorhead was fantastic in this football game. It makes me wonder what they're doing starting Phil Dracovic. Looked better than Dracovic has looked for a lot of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they even ran the ball a little bit more than I thought they'd be able to against Duke's front with a, a an offensive line that to call it depleted would be an understatement for sure. Yeah, and it felt like it was it was interesting too because like Duke scores to start the third quarter, right? Um, they got they got the ball second to start the third. You know, BC got the ball, got rid of it. Duke scores. It's thirty-one to fourteen. So I'm thinking the game's over. We're in good shape. We're in good shape. And then BC scores. And it's a ten-point game again. And then Duke scores. It's up, back up seventeen at the start of the fourth quarter. And then. At the 12-minute mark, BC scores again. Emmett Moorhead throws his third touchdown pass of the game. Mm-hmm. And so now it's 38-28 with like 12 minutes left. I'm like, this is a 10-point game with a lot of time left. And the fourth quarter, you're just kind of sitting there, kind of watching it happen. And BC never quite got over the hump in this game. But mm-hmm. they were way closer in the fourth than I anticipated they would be. So Duke just could not really put them away in the fourth quarter and yeah. it was really in the third quarter either they kept going up 17 and then here comes bc again it's like man the defense just isn't ready for a backup quarterback it just made me scratch my head it was like duke thought that they could kind of coast their way to the to the, to the finish and to be fair they still won so they kind of did they kind of um, did right they kind of did but i i don't have a ton more on this game with the exception of there's there's one thing that we do need to call out here mike um, the, the ticket that I had on Duke was, as I mentioned, the number was kind of growing as we went into the weekend and we realized Phil Dracovic's not playing and Zay Flowers, we mm-hmm. didn't know what he was going to do. Boston College lost like two more offensive linemen somehow, uh, all this stuff, right? And so I, I got the number at 11 and a half, which was not, not the good number. Definitely the number not. that we, the number that we picked on the podcast last week was nine and a half. You and I were both pretty comfortable that Duke was going to cover nine and a half, on the road in Chestnut Hill. Mike, they were up by 10 points with 30 seconds left in this game. One of several bad beats this weekend. And Boston College, I will be damned if they didn't line up and kick a field goal on second down with like 17 seconds left, which in in retrospect, I mean, probably the right thing to do, right? Like, because you're going to have to get the ball back and score a touchdown if you're trying to win and everything. But like, Jeff... It's second down. Like just, you know, that whole thing that Zach Gibson said in the pre in the the post game interview a couple weeks ago. Just take the L. You got beat. It's okay. <laughs> Stop ruining our betting picks on this podcast with your second down fifteen you know, second left field goals. Listen, Jeff Halfley knows where his bread is buttered. Am I right? Like he knew he knows where the boosters were. It's not on this podcast anymore, Jeff. I. I that that's right. I mean, we will no longer be giving money to the Boston College boosters. That's right. All the money we make here. <laughs> All of that money. I wonder I wonder if Steven knew that his sponsorship money was going to like you know, some obscure teams boosters. The Boston College NIL collective? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. 
Sure it is. Duke 38, Boston College 31. Uh, let's get on to, I, I think, one of the more shocking outcomes of the weekend, not only in the ACC, but maybe across the country. Notre Dame 35, the number four Clemson Tigers 14. Good Lord, Clemson. Beat that ass. They did. Notre Dame walked in there with a two-by-four and just hit Clemson over the head with it time and time and time again. And there is a word that it, it – like they – they had, I mean, they had Clemson's defense looking away that I don't know that we have seen it in quite a while, and and there's really only one word that I can think to describe it, and I think it's something like, yeah, that's the one soft. Oh my goodness, Clemson's defense got just railroaded in this game by Notre Dame's offensive front. Notre Dame was outside of the top 100 and expected points added per rush entering this game, mm-hmm. which basically is a fancy analytics term, which means like the points that are produced by play, right? In this case, by running play. Outside, means they weren't it, very good at running the ball. Means they, yeah, in, in layman's terms, that means they, they suck running the football. <laughs> Notre Dame, Drew Pine was sacked Drew Pine was sacked once, okay? And Notre Dame had a kneel down at the end. Um, including those, the two-yard loss on the sack and the kneel down at the end, Notre Dame carried the ball 47 times for 263 yards and two touchdowns against a Clemson rush defense that was allowing less than 90 yards per game on the ground entering this game. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame averaged 5.6 yards per rush here. They just ran it right down Clemson's throat. Tommy Reese had an epiphany a few weeks ago after the Stanford game. He goes, you know what? We can't really throw on anybody, so let's just power run everybody to death. Let's just not throw it. It turns out Notre Dame's pretty damn good at that Mm -hmm. again, which they weren't at the beginning of the year. Um, at least we didn't think they were because they didn't commit to it like they're committing to it now. Notre Dame just says, you know what? We have like three four-star running backs in our backfield. Chris Tyree, who had seven carries for 26 yards, was kind of a non-factor in the running game. But Audrick Estime, four-star. Logan Diggs, four-star. Logan Diggs, 17 for 114. Audrick Estime, 18 for 104 and a touchdown. They ran it right down Clemson's throat. Notre Dame had a... That's a combined 35 for 218 and a touchdown. Yeah. uh, That'll do. That'll do. Yeah, that's that's a two-headed monster. Clemson had no answer with their really good defensive line, like awesome front seven. No answer for it. This this was all about Notre Dame imposing their will and winning the game at the line of scrimmage. Clemson couldn't Mm -hmm. compete up front. It's shocking to say that, but... We've seen this offensive line in some games this year look a, on both sides, by the way. Notre Dame's offensive line has been a little bit questionable, too. But Clemson's offensive line, brother, brother, it was not good in this game. Offensively, Clemson had nothing on that side of the mm-hmm. ball. DJU running for his life. His numbers look okay. He was running for his life all night. They bring in Cade Klubnick in the shadow of their own goalpost. Dabo's such that? an Dabo's such an idiot for that. I can't believe he he brings in a freshman quarterback on the road, down a couple scores, shadow of his own goalpost. They can't protect DJU. What makes you think they're going to protect Cade Klubnik? Right? Klubnik takes a snap, rolls out to his left, gets freaking killed, and throws a pick. A- I and can't no- think setting of up the Notre Dame for a time, short touchdown. I can't think of the last time we saw Dabo or that Clemson program make a move or make a, a coaching decision like that that was that misguided, that poor. 
I mean, we, as we were talking about, it's like, yeah, I mean, at some point, did Cade Klubnik probably need to come into that game? Yes. Yes. Did they pick the worst possible moment to pull that trigger and bring him into the game? Also, also yes. yes. Yeah, like, no wonder, like, when you're, when you're taking the snap, your first snap, again, freshman on the road in South Bend, you know, looking at touchdown Jesus, the whole thing. The first snap you take, your feet are in the end zone in a game where your team is losing. And then you go out there and throw an interception. Of course he didn't come back out there all night. You can't put him back out there after that. He's, his psyche's broken. Like, you, you did that to him. And I know Notre Dame... Notre, I know Notre Dame's fans catch some flack because their stadium, for as much as they sell it out, at times could be louder, right? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was loud on Saturday night. Like, you could hear it on the telecast. It was loud. And Klubnik... Yeah. I mean, that is a really, really, really tough and, in my opinion, unfair spot to put him in. Yeah. Um, it was a terrible, terrible, play, terrible play call, too. Had him rolling like rolling out left. I know it was kind of a broken play, thrown across his body. Like, nothing, no part of that made sense. Benjamin Morrison, that was one of two interceptions he had on the night. He also had an interception on a really, really bad DJU throw in the red zone where Morrison picks it off. He's a freshman, by the way, picks it off at the four-yard line, runs it back 96 yards for a touchdown. Notre Dame had their fourth blocked punt of the year, um, and they returned that for a touchdown. Notre Dame runs an interception back for a touchdown, and then they had two rushing touchdowns on the ground and then a touchdown pass to Michael Mayer, and that was all the scoring. At one point in this game, it was 35-7. to Speaking of me being pissed about mm. how these totals go mm. uh mike at one point in 35 mike entering the fourth quarter was 14 to nothing yep. we're like they scored 35 points in the fourth quarter to go over the total of 44 like it ugh. was it was 14 to Gross. nothing going into the fourth quarter and i i literally said out loud to my wife this game is over clemson cannot score two touchdowns what? this game is done it felt like it was over at 14 nothing <laughs> What an idiot! Oh, what a loser! Perfectly deployed, producer Scott. Oh, that was good. Fourteen. It was fourteen nothing. I didn't feel like Clemson was in the game. That's how bad this was offensively for them. I was going to say. So yeah, they're, they're, half of the story here is how well Notre Dame ran the ball, absolutely just straight down the throats of Clemson's defense. The other half of the story is how much Clemson's offense just could not, could not do anything for the first three quarters of this game. And, and and this is like, I think this is kind of where we've been talking about this is this is going to become an issue, and yeah. we didn't think we, we thought that they were in the clear. Like we thought that they were going to be able to win this game. There's a reason they were favored. Like all this stuff, uh, we thought they were going to the playoff, and that's where they'd get exposed. Turns out Notre Dame's defense every bit as good as they needed to be to expose this Clemson offense for how generally ineffective it's been and just like totally surviving on superior talent levels clemson's just very they're very ordinary on offense yeah and that that's dju has had a a fine year but he's not the best quarterback they've had um their receiving core is not great well shipley's a stud at running back but like they Mm -hmm. they've been better up front than they are this year uh, there's just a lot of things going on offensively where it just makes you kind of ask some questions. But the good news for Clemson is Jeff Scott just got fired at South Florida, so you can bring him in the <laughs> offseason and get this thing back on the right track. Get the band back together. That's right. 
I uh, and with the way things are going at OU, you can bring Venables back in a year or two. <laughs> I am definitely wondering what we're making of DJU at this point because he was definitely getting better. But the last two games that he has played, home against yeah. Syracuse two weeks ago, he got pulled and benched and all that. And then after a bye week, he comes into Notre Dame, and this is what he does. Uh, I mean, 27 to 39 doesn't sound all that bad, but for a grand total of 191 yards, yeah, that's that isn't going to do it. Like, the time to the time to pull him was in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't do that; they waited, mm-hmm. and I think Dabo was hoping that they would turn it on a little bit in the second half because they've been a decent second half team this year. Mm-hmm. But it it was pretty clear like midway through the third quarter, this is not going to be a game where they were just going to be able to flip a switch and run by Notre Dame. Notre Dame's too talented. Like they got too many good players. They haven't played great this year at times, but they have a lot of good players on that team. Like yep. Brian Kelly, he didn't leave the cupboard bare for Marcus Freeman. Last thing I'll say on this. And, and I wanted to call this out. Uh, Morgan Thomas at the Morgan T show on Twitter was posting a few graphics today, uh, and one of them was showing kind of the – it was plotting out the Clemson passing attack. Mm-hmm. And he shows a plot of the first three quarters of this game. Clemson's passes, there were – I think they only had one completed, pa- one completed pass of more than 10 yards down the field. This was just constant dink and dunk and dink and dunk and dink and dunk. Like, I think over half of their completions in the first three quarters were behind the line of scrimmage. Like that is not going to work, and you, you can't, have got to be able to push the ball down the field. And you can't. We saw this. I, I get it was the opener, right? It's the first game of the year, right? And you're not, you're not your level-headed best, but like, it was pretty clear when Ohio State couldn't throw on Notre Dame. It was pretty clear that the dink and dunk stuff that Clemson was going to do in November was not going to work. Like. Mm-hmm. We probably should have outlined that a little bit better on the preview. I think we we both messed that up a little bit. Um, now we did say Notre Dame's defense would be game here. That was not a surprise. They played better than I thought, but yeah, we knew they would be good. We thought Clemson's defense would be a hell of a lot better than they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but Clemson legitimately could not move the ball to the point where like Will Shipley was getting bottled up and he had a couple of a, t- a couple of decent runs and he was running hard all night as he always does but he was just getting kind of bottled up at the line of scrimmage because Notre Dame was not afraid of Clemson's wide receivers testing him down the field right and I mean that bared itself out in the box score too right like Clemson had what eight different players catch passes and only one of them averaged 10 yards per catch yeah that's a that's a terrible look for a team that thought they were going to be going to the playoff. And you that's, know, that's how you get that's not great. And that's how you get twenty seven completions for one hundred and ninety one yards. That's how you yep. get there. Kobe, it's a it's a, the candidate this week. Yeah, it's a contender. Notre Dame thirty five, Clemson fourteen. Can we keep moving, Mike? That ends the ACC's playoff hopes. By the way, yeah. No, we're done here. We're done here. There was there was an argument being made that maybe uh, a North Carolina that goes twelve and one wins the ACC. Championship I floated that. Could get Not in. anymore. Nope. Nope. I, don't, I, nope. I mean, it would there would have to be a lot of stuff that goes real sideways. Like it, it's it's a pretty bizarro world scenario for that to even be on the table. I think. I mean, Carolina's lone loss this year is to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, that scenario, Clemson would have two losses now. Right. One of them would be to Notre Dame. 
mm-hmm. Carolina lost that Notre Dame team. I have a hard time putting that team in the playoff. Sure. That's Fair enough. At. Yep. Number 22, NC State 30. Number 21, Wake Forest 21. Sure. Mike, speaking of quarterbacks that are not finished products, that have a long way to go, that are freshmen and have, they were backups and came into a game and, and all this stuff, MJ Morris for NC State, I like watching that kid play. I he do, is, too. He is good. He is fun. He is not perfect. There is there is room to grow there, but like that kid can play, and he, same way as Zach Pyron for Georgia Tech, like he will hang in there. He will make some throws. He will take some shots and get right back up and keep going. I was really impressed with him in this game. I, I mean, huge win for NC State, I thought, and, and their defense especially played a phenomenal game, I thought, here uh, against Wake Forest. I like watching MJ Morris a lot more when he's not tearing up my alma mater. <laughs> um, yeah, he was Off good. The bench. Off the yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> uh, he had three touchdowns in this game. He had 43 yards rushing. The bigger story here, and Joey, you pointed this out over text um, as we were kind of getting our getting our bearings here for the show. Sam Hartman's got a turnover problem, so I want to I want to step aside and let you expound upon that and expand upon that as well. Three interceptions in this game. I I believe the 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 actual phrase that I used is that we are watching Sam Hartman right now in the middle of a turnover binge. Uh, Sam Hartman had turned the ball over. He had thrown three interceptions in Wake Forest's first, I guess, his first six games of the season. He didn't play the first game because he, he was still dealing with the after effects of that blood clot thing that he had going on. Uh, he threw two interceptions against Liberty, and then for a couple of we- or three weeks, he had nothing. The Boston College game, he threw one. The last two weeks, Mike, he has thrown six interceptions he has lost multiple fumbles, and I'm, I'm trying to find the numbers on that exactly. Sam Hartman all of a sudden has gotten into this. This I don't know what's going on there with him. If is he seeing ghosts? If, is he overconfident? Is he pressing too much? I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But a guy who is notoriously really good at taking care of the ball and not putting it in harm is all of a sudden just absolutely giving it away at an alarming rate. I mean, he's he's cost Wake Forest two wins last two weeks mm-hmm. i mean if we're going to be honest about it like yeah he's he's a turnover machine right now and mm-hmm. he had he had three interceptions he had multiple fumbles he turned the ball over at least four or five times by himself against louisville um he has three interceptions here this is i mean they're losing close i mean the louisville game got out of hand but like they lost relatively close here it was a nine point game but this game was getting a little bit out of hand again, just like the Louisville game was. Mm-hmm. So this is the second week in a row where a game has gotten away from Wake Forest because it's their offense letting them down, not the defense, which right. hasn't been the story with Wake Forest. They've been well coached. They've taken care of the football. The defense has been better, I thought, this year than it was a year ago. And the offense is now regressing a little bit because they can't take care of the football. That's right. That's right. So. It's and and it hasn't really been an all year thing. It really no. is just like the last two weeks. And there were six and one entering week nine. And so again, Hartman. I mean, he he threw three interceptions this week. Last week it was three picks and three lost fumbles. And a couple of those, you can understand. Like if you're a quarterback and you're in the pocket, and all of a sudden you just get smoked from behind. Like, yeah, ball might come out. Like that that happens. That's not necessarily entirely your fault. But there's at least one of those that was his fault. You know that kind of thing. So. All to say, I mean, he's got nine turnovers now in two games. Like, whew, 
that is that is not good. Got to clean that up. Yeah, you absolutely have to. Um, I mentioned I I briefly mentioned it. I thought NC State's game uh, defense played a phenomenal game here. Their linebackers in particular were all over the place. Wake Forest could do nothing in the run game in this game. Um, Christian Turner, your your leading rusher with eight carries for twenty nine yards. Kobe. Yeah, NC State's defense uh, and those linebackers especially had Wake Forest run game completely bottled up, made made that offense totally one-dimensional. They still came away with almost 400 yards through the air, a couple touchdowns. A.T. Perry had a big game, 12 catches Huge for 159 game. yards. But at the end of the day, it was not enough, especially, again, with, with drives being cut short with turnovers. Um, and NC State, I thought, did a really good job of shortening the game in the second half. Um, they It was 17-14 at halftime. The Wolfpack had the lead. They go out there, force a three and out. 15 plays, 80 yards later, they score a touchdown to make it 24-14. to 14. Uh, Another interception by Wake and then a field goal by NC State. So they stretch the lead out to 27-24. And at that point, kind of sat on the game in a lot of ways. Um, two more drives took up seven, almost eight minutes of game, game clock. So um, did a nice job really kind of limiting Wake Forest's ability to get back in the game. This NC State team, man, I'm, I'm – I'm struggling a little bit of what to make of it because it's really only been like a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah. since we were talking about this being a totally lost season. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they've lost they've won two more games in a row. They're still ranked. They're 7 and 2. Yeah. It looks like that offense is not nearly as dead in the water as we thought they might be with no. this, you know, this MJ Morris situation and by the way, I think in a couple ways they might be a little bit better on offense with yep. MJ Morris at quarterback than they were with Devin Leary. Yeah. And maybe I feel some that of that is – the only thing I can think of that is that maybe Devin Leary was, again, being a little bit more careful with the ball, didn't really want to take risks and take shots down the field, where MJ Morris is just saying, screw it, we're, we're hucking it, and yeah, <laughs> come what may. And, oh, by the way, maybe a couple guys can come down with the ball down the field. So it seems like there is a different element to this NC State offense with him at quarterback than there was with Devin Leary. Yeah, I agree. And like NC State is putting themselves in position to be in a big time bowl game here because mm-hmm. we'll have to see how it shakes out. I mean, right now they're third in the Atlantic, but that's going to change because Syracuse is most definitely going to lose at least one more game, maybe two. Mm-hmm. We'll get to them in a second. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, this has the potential to be like a nine and three NC State team, which yeah. I mean, I, I think going into the year, you were thinking, okay, nine and three is probably, you know, a pretty decent year. A lot of people were saying that NC State could win the Atlantic. Obviously, nine and three is not going to win the Atlantic. But if you kind of take a step back and just say we lost our starting quarterback, we had to play a freshman. Like if they get to nine and three, I think a lot of NC State fans are going to be like, that's a pretty good coaching job by Dave Doran, considering he lost mm-hmm. his star quarterback in October. So. And that was exactly my thought, you know, watching this is this this might be one of the best coaching jobs of Dave Doran's tenure, him and that staff. Like yeah. to to kind of be able to keep this team afloat and keep winning with some of the matchups that they've had in this stretch of their schedule. Really impressive with everything else that's gone on. I mean, they're at worst they're gonna go eight and four. Mm-hmm. I mean, they their final three games, home against BC at Louisville at North Carolina. I mean, I think they're going to be favored in at least two of those. I think they will be favored at – I well, the Louisville game could be a toss-up, actually, but they may be favored on the road at Louisville. Um, they will be favored at home against Boston College. Then at UNC, they'll probably be an underdog, I would assume, on the road. But yeah, 
I still kind of like the matchup there for NC State if the offense keeps playing well. I do think NC State's defense can hang there. So that could be an interesting game um, around Thanksgiving. Yep, yep. Big win for NC State here. Huge. I am a little bit concerned about where Wake Forest is at right now. I think that's fair. I mean, they got to start taking care of the football for sure. And they got North Carolina. We'll talk about that later this week. They got Carolina this weekend, which I'm feeling over, over, number one. I don't care what the number is, over. Number two, um, I feel better about Carolina entering that matchup than I do about Wake Forest. Oh, yeah. So I agree. I agree. Current. Number currently looks like uh, 76 and a half. Jesus. I mean. That's a lot. Will there be at least 11 touchdowns in that game? Probably. Probably. Yeah. That's over. That's 77. That'll get you there. So uh, I ain't afraid. I'll, I'll, do, I'll go for that. We do crazy things on this podcast. Look at our record last week. That's right. That's right. It, uh, yeah. Don't, don't look at our record last week, actually. Yeah, Scott will remind us later. <laughs> NC State 30, Wake Forest 21. Um, Mike, you want to talk about something else that was kind of crazy? Absolutely. Um, Cam, Cam, don't listen. Okay, all right, we're going uh, here next. Okay. Yes. Florida State 45, Miami 3. Holy crap. Um, Bud Elliott. So, Joey, but Bud Elliott put a tweet out. He said Florida State could set some records here tonight if they want, and that was at the 14-minute mark of the second quarter. <laughs> yeah, I checked. So this is not not a good situation for Miami right now. Florida State, by the way, uh, good. They are good. They're they are good. competent. Uh, they are six and three, and probably going to continue winning. They're going to go at least eight and four, if not nine and three, at this point. I think. One of those wins is against LSU. That's aging nicely, huh? It is aging very nicely. I think LSU quite a bit better now than they were then, but we don't have to talk about that. That's fine. No, I, we can make the argument Florida State's better now than they were then. Jordan Travis threw 12 passes in this game and racked up three touchdowns and 200 yards, so that's pretty good. Uh, Trey Benson, 15 carries for 128 yards and two scores. Miami did not seem like they were... Uh, there's a certain Q word that comes to mind that we might need to start considering with Miami. Oh, like halfway through the first quarter. Yeah. Did they, uh, did they, you know, check out and, uh, see, you know, did, were they going to miss their reservations at the club on South beach or, uh, cause I, I have a overarching thought because you can only talk about 45 to three so much. Mm-hmm. I have an overarching thought here. I think, Miami is going to need like at least half their roster hit the portal. It's going to be a, a sight to behold. Is that a bad take? I don't think so. I think they're going to need a total roster overhaul. And it's not even that like they're not talented enough. It's that they're not going to jive with the Mario Cristobal culture. Mm-hmm. And then let's see what this team is when Cristobal gets some of his guys in there. And then if this thing is still a mess at year like three, then that's when we have start having some questions. Maybe maybe halfway through next year we'll have some questions about the coaching staff. But like, I don't, 
at this point, I don't know how much of this is a Cristobal issue. I've made jokes like last week. I was like, yeah, you know, thought it would work out long term. Maybe not. Maybe not. After the blowout to Duke, um, they they are sliding. They're sliding fast here. I I have a thought on that. We'll get to that in a second. Before okay. we do, I want to mention a couple of things specific to this game. Tyler Van Dyke came back from an injury and started this game. And he left, was it was it the first quarter or like early second quarter, with a non-contact injury on a ball that he just threw away and seemed to cause some damage to his shoulder that was previously injured. That is a really bad look. Like if you're just casually throwing the ball away and you, you know, separate your rotator or you tear your rotator cuff or something like that, like you probably shouldn't have been in the game to begin with. Um, so that's not great. Desperate times call for desperate measures, my friend. We got two attempts passing from Jake Garcia, but most of the game it seemed like it was Jacuri Brown, uh, the true freshman in there, which the Florida State game, probably not where you want to go straight to your true freshman. That's uh, a Klubnik <laughs> level decision. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. Um, there was there was a lot that went on here that was that was pretty rough. The uh, I've mentioned before and in recent memory the uh, the good the bad and the ugly article that Cam does after every yes. Miami game. Yep. Let's just say if you go look that up on stateoftheu.com right now, and you should. It's a very good, always a very good summary of you know what happened and how do we feel about objective. it. Objective, very objective. It is. It is always. Um, let's just say that the good section was like eight bullet points. The the bad section was like nine bullet points. And the ugly was about thirty-five bullet points. Like it, it was <laughs> extensive. Always, I, I, you just keep scrolling, keep scrolling, and it's still the ugly section. Always on brand. Yeah, not not great for Miami. Um, Cam Cam writes his ass off. By the way, mm-hmm. he writes his ass off. Florida State is good. Uh, they they called off the dogs in like the middle of the third quarter. Like it was thirty-one game, to three, and they scored two more touchdowns after that. Like. <laughs> Yeah, this was yeah this was an absolute ass whipping of the of the highest uh, highest degree. Here's my question about Miami. Mike. Okay. Yes. The Hurricanes are four and five. They are not making a bowl game. So okay, that was me? my question. Okay, that was my now. question. They're then now they are not because making a bowl game. Joey. They have they have three games left this weekend at Georgia Tech, the following weekend at Clemson, no. LOL, and the final weekend home against Pittsburgh. And before you come back at me and say, well, Georgia Tech and all. Georgia Tech is favored in that game. Yeah, the, I don't think Miami is going to win any of their remaining three games. This is a four and eight Miami team, which woof did not have to be year zero. They were picked to win the Coastal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand why we were making that leap in year one. I thought it was somewhere between them, Pitt, and North Carolina. I did not realize that this was going to be a one horse race. I thought it might be a three horse race. I thought. Yeah, I mean. I thought Pitt. That's going to end up being incorrect, but whatever. Yeah. It 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 is nice for me to see Florida State kind of bouncing back and actually showing some legitimacy and some some growth and they they are on a good track here for Florida State. It, this is the best that they have looked since Jimbo left, probably. Yeah. Up. Uh, yeah. Easily. Easily. I mean, they could win nine. Yeah. 
yeah, three games left, and they they could easily win them all. That's at Syracuse, home against Louisiana, home against Florida. Like every one of those is a very winnable game for Florida State at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll be favored in all three. Knowles forty five, Miami three. Let's keep moving, Mike and um, producer Scott. You might want to get your uh, get your trigger finger ready because, uh, well, actually, this isn't really a bad one, but. Number 17, North Carolina, 31. The Virginia Cavaliers, 28. Uh, I mean, it's another loss for Virginia, but honestly, it's a, it was a close, competitive loss. And uh, I, I thought they, they acquitted themselves reasonably well here. Yeah, I mean, they, they started the game by marching right up the field and scoring. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, are we really going to do this today? North they Carolina? led at halftime. I, they led at halftime. Um, yeah, I mean, I... Look, I thought UVA did play well here, and I truthfully thought this was Tony Elliott and his staff's best performance this year. Mm-hmm. Which All considered, yeah, seems a little a little crazy. I know UVA has won three games, right? So, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I thought this was their best performance. I thought it was pretty telling how Virginia came off of a really tough loss to Miami last week, and how Miami came off of a really ugly win last week. Mm-hmm. It was pretty telling with two new coaching staffs how one reacted and how the other reacted, mm-hmm. right? Um, Miami has a rivalry game, a much bigger game than I know UVA and North Carolina are like semi-rivals, but not like Miami, Florida State. Miami had a game they could they could absolutely get up for, and they didn't, and they got mm-hmm. that they lost by six touchdowns, and then there's UVA who lost in a ugly, ugly slugfest against Miami last week. They come out. And they put up a good fight against a really good North Carolina offense, and they didn't have the quit factor, right? For all the things that I will say about the Virginia team and that coaching staff, I will not say that they don't have the buy-in. They, they, they are bought in. They are not very good. I will uh, say the things they're buying into might be kind of garbage, but that's fine. That's a different discussion. They're bought in. There's that. They're not quitting, right? They're not, they're not quitting. So mm-hmm. this is the nicest things I've, these are the nicest things I've said about UVA all year. <laughs> uh, I thought, I mean, I thought they played, I thought they played well here. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought they played well. Uh, Carolina continues to win and do just enough. Um, huge day for Josh Downs, by the way. Oh yeah. He was good. <laughs> there were, uh, there were seven other North Carolina receivers who caught the ball uh, from Drake May. Seven of them that maxed out at three receptions. Then there was Josh Downs, who had 15 receptions for 166 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Um, so he was really big. He, yep. he has big moments, and he is the clear go-to guy on like third and fourth downs mm-hmm. when they've really got to have a conversion. He's there. Um, so good on them. Uh, I thought Brendan Armstrong, you know, the overall numbers don't look great, but he kind of helped to keep them in the game in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, a couple scores on the ground and, and really racked up a number of yards through the air. So I, I – This was more vintage Brennan Armstrong, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, using his mobility has always been a, a good thing mm-hmm. uh, for this Virginia team. So, um, credit to the Hoos. I mean, they, they made this a game again. They they led at halftime, and um, they really kind of pushed North Carolina to the brink here. Um, Carolina. I don't want to do that. This is another bullshit. Bad beat situation. Bad, yes. Let me pause. Another bad beat situation. I had a few of those. These Carolina. Favored by seven and a half. They lead by 10 points and they get the ball with about six minutes left in the game. Mm-hmm. They go four plays, 
turnover on downs at the Virginia 30-yard line. So he could kick a field goal, choose not to. Uh, it is a turnover on downs. Virginia takes the ball 71 yards in seven mm-hmm. plays, march it right down the field in less than a minute, score a touchdown. So now it's a three-point game, so we need to cover seven and a half. North Carolina recovers an onside kick with about three minutes left. They are they proceed to immediately get into the red zone. They get down inside the 10-yard line, inside the five-yard line, and on the two-yard line, they just take a knee to end the game. Gross. That's the stuff. That's the stuff. Just punch it in, Mac. Help us out here, man. That's that's the stuff. This conference is ridiculous, Mike. None of them support this podcast. Why should we support them? Yeah, I mean, I, we could be a bit more fiscally responsible with our bets, too. I think part of that's <laughs> on us, for being honest. I take no responsibility for my own wagers. That's another way to look at it. I mean, I... <laughs> I can't say I haven't made that excuse myself. So <laughs> I got advice from you. I got advice from you. This is not my I fault. I made the right bet. The team's messed it up. That's what this is. I was on the right side of that. <laughs> I mean, in a way. But anyways, uh, I don't have a ton else on this game. I, I, a bit of a tough, close loss for Virginia, but I, I thought they acquitted themselves well relative to everything else they've done this year. North Carolina, uh, uh, they win. They continue to win. They've only mm-hmm. lost once this year. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if they have officially locked up the Coastal, but they, they will. They will be they, playing in Charlotte almost for certain. They have not officially locked up the Coastal because Duke beat Boston College. Okay. So Carolina plays uh, Wake Forest next week, as we said. and So I guess it's, it's probably just what, like one Carolina win or one Duke loss away from that being locked up. That's Yeah, now that there's three games left to play. Okay. Yep. yep. There you go. So, almost a certainty that we will see Carolina in Charlotte uh, taking on likely Clemson, but at this point, who the hell knows? Like, <laughs> can Clemson uh, make sure they up. get it done? They locked Clemson it up. locked it up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess the loss to Notre Dame isn't a conference loss. So, well, there you go. All right. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, I'm sleep deprived. I'm trying to figure it all out. Mike, anything else in this game? Brother, you're sleep deprived. My guy, <laughs> my guy. We had to I postpone know, the I podcast know. last night. We sat down to hit record. <laughs> we were within five minutes of hitting record, and I said I can't do it tonight. So yeah, I, we were in the we were in the chat, ready to rock. Our guy, Baby McDaniel, was ready to rock too. It turns out. So uh, yeah, we rocked him till one a.m. He finally <laughs> fell asleep. So. <laughs> Have a baby right before college football season. They said it'll be fun. They said. Uh, they're uh, all good things. It's all good things, Joey. UNC 31, UVA 28. Uh, two more, Mike. The Pittsburgh Panthers 19, the number 20 Syracuse Orange 9. Uh, Mike, I think I'm out on Syracuse. I think we're done here. Let's be a little fair, right? And no, I'm not going to talk about Garrett Schrader's injury. Let's be <laughs> fair. I did call this in September. Like, if we're being fair. Yeah. I am the smartest I mean, we, man alive. <laughs> yes, I am. We were both skeptical of five and zero Syracuse. I think. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, I, just, I mean that win over Purdue was a little bit uh, iffy. It was something. Yeah. The win over Virginia was a little iffy. 
listen, shout out to my guy Sideline Syracuse that was talking all that smack when I was calling Syracuse the worst 4-0 team in the country, the worst 5-0 team in the country. Now I can confidently say they're also the worst 6-3 team in the country. This team, <laughs> I'll tell you what, Syracuse, I look, I understand they have not had Garrett Schrader healthy the last two weeks, right? And I understand they're right in the Clemson game. And Schrader leaves after halftime. Things go a little sideways offensively. Mm-hmm. They stop getting the stops on defense. Like it just kind of got away from them. This was different, right? Like Pitt is not Pitt is not Clemson. Syracuse could not move the ball offensively. Carlos Del Rio Wilson uh, did not show that he could be effective. I think having some film on him probably did Pittsburgh wonders here, knowing that Schrader was probably not necessarily going to be a full go or a go at all. Uh, Pitt really just committed to the running game, which is what they do. This time it was Hammond Jr., who, uh, again, one of Pitt's really good running backs. They have several. Um, you have a Rodney Hammond Jr., 28 for 124 and a touchdown. No Izzy Abanacanda in this game. So, uh, Yeah, he missed. I don't even know if we heard what the injury was that he missed with. No, I no, I don't I don't know. He was just like mysteriously not playing in this game, which yeah, is kind of strange. But but Pitt, I mean, did just fine on the ground without him. Again, as you mentioned, Rodney Hammond with twenty eight carries for hundred and twenty four yards and a score. Like that's pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, and Jared Wayne had another really nice day. Oh yeah, he's good. Six six catches for one oh two. He is good, but Narduzzi Narduzzi just doesn't like to throw the ball, so Wayne should transfer. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, I mean, nothing to do with Jared Wayne. He's a very good receiver, and he should go somewhere where they actually throw the football. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll give it that. Um, I felt like, you know, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, like, in fairness to him, I thought he actually played okay for the first, like, 20 to 25 minutes of this game. Um, stood in there. He took a couple of hits, that kind of thing, you know. But, I mean, of, of their first four drives on offense – uh, Syracuse got some movement, you know, and, and kicked a couple field goals. The the first one's what really hurt because they got the ball down. They had second and goal at the one yard line, get nothing on uh, a Sean Tucker run. Third and goal, run it again and lose four yards, and had to kick a field goal. Like having to kick a field goal there kind of sucked, especially in in the uh, you know in the grand scheme of the final score of the game and everything. Right. That was a field goal. Uh, their fourth drive was a field goal. Other than those two drives, Mike. If you, if you just totally exclude those, mm-hmm. here is how Syracuse's offense started this game. Three and out, three and out, three and out. And then in the second half, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. And that's it. They had a uh, field goal and a safety at the very end of the game. Eight and, three uh, and outs. Yeah, so they had three drives where they kicked field goals. They had Technically, they had a drive where they uh, took a knee with five seconds left in the first half, and they just ended the half. There was only like three drives this entire game where Syracuse was able to rack up a first down, a single solitary first down on the drive. Um, so this this offense without Garrett Schrader and against a Pittsburgh front that was totally dialed in on stopping the run and getting after the quarterback, I mean, they, they couldn't do anything. And again, I, th- I thought Del Rio Wilson played okay for the first maybe 20 minutes or so, and then at some point he looked like he was just totally rattled, lost, panicked, like – lost his composure the the whole second half like he was kind of a mess back there like it it was not a good situation for Syracuse I 
what's Syracuse's final record going to be? Uh, it might be six and six. Which is kind of what we said. You know, they were going into that NC State game that they won. We we said there is a chance that five and zero Syracuse does not make a bowl game. Because you look at the stretch of this this schedule, it is it is ridiculously backloaded. By the way, they're not going to lose at Boston College. I don't no, think. No, I think I think I think it'll be seven and five. Now that I look at the schedule, I don't think they're going to lose at Boston College. But like, they are in the middle of a stretch of the schedule that was NC State at Clemson, Notre Dame at Pitt, Florida State at Wake Forest. Like, a, a an upper quarter or so ACC team was probably always going to lose two to three of those games at least. Right. And you, it's fair to ask the question, is Syracuse truly like an upper quarter or even, you know, a five through eight ACC team at this point? So it's a tough stretch of their schedule, and they very well are likely going to lose next week against Florida State. They're probably going to lose the following week against Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, seven and five, I think, is the likely outcome. I think they'll probably beat Boston College their Thanksgiving weekend, but... You know, it was fun while it lasted, Syracuse. <laughs> I mean, Syracuse's best win at this point is now either NC State or Louisville. I mean, they were trying to hang their hat on the uh, Purdue victory, but Purdue is sliding quick in mm-hmm. the Big Ten. So that early part of the schedule was not difficult, and they're now facing a tougher stretch here, and it's not going very well. I mean, they're going to lose to Florida State on Saturday, so I will not be picking them to win that game. They're going on the road to Wake. If Wake takes care of the football, I'm not going to be picking Syracuse to win that game. And they should beat Boston College, but that's a road game at the end of the year. And, you know, once you lose, like, five in a row, what's the uh, Q word look like? I will say, at some point soon, the the Garrett Williams loss is really going to catch up to them. Yes, it is. And And by the way... That's where I would probably say you're probably playing Boston College at the wrong time. Not to say that Boston College is really improving, but to say you would really, really rather have Garrett Williams there to cover Zay Flowers and a couple of those guys. Yeah, that is that might be a bit of a tough situation. So that this is the thing. This is the thing that for whatever reason it seems like it happens to Syracuse almost every year is that like a couple of injuries start to pile up on their defense, and maybe it's just an issue of depth, but. It's like they've got some really pretty good players as starters. And then the moment that those guys miss a game or two, it's like they just they struggle to fill that hole and uh and, and yeah. things start to open up for opposing offenses. I yeah, I I agree. Um and in this game they opened up so much that Pitt was able to get all the way up to nineteen points. I mean, that's the thing. I thought Pitt's offense played well, but like they're not built to blow teams out. Keaton Slovis I, is is Max Brown 2.0 man. Like, I, isn't that the greatest? Isn't that I? We've used that a couple times on this podcast. Isn't it the greatest? And it's perfect. It's the greatest analogy or metaphor or whatever. It's perfect. It is. It's man. I don't know. Pitt's fine. Um, I mean, they got six sacks in this game. Again, that that defense had a had a big day. Uh, the Queen's favorite night, Sir Vassier Dennis, uh, had a, had a pretty big day with eight tackles, a sack and all that. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this game. Yeah, it'll be fine. Know. They'll they'll go play in the uh they'll go play in Shreveport probably. Yeah. And everyone play will have the, a merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like playing in the Independence Bowl. 
That's what I always say. Mike, if I uh, try to pick Syracuse to cover a spread again this year, maybe reach through the screen and slap me, please. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a dumb thing to do. Shouldn't have done that. It was a bad bad choice. Yes. Bad choice. <laughs> it was. Um, I, I think there's really only one way that I can think to sum up this game, and it comes from the Twitter account at Sean Tucker 2020. Um, and, and <laughs> gosh, Saturday we lost Syracuse nine, Pitt nineteen. I am not pleased with the outcome of the game. Another bad day. I am not pleased with my performance. Offense struggled and never got started. I'm back in the grind this week. I rushed for 19 yards, reception for three yards. Hashtag. Please. <laughs> the, uh, oh, man. The, uh, the, the Kansas to uh, Wedding Crashers mashup there was uh, an all-timer. Yeah. I mean, don't play the last part of that drop too loud if it's like after 1030 at night. Because, you know, I just wouldn't do that. Look, we're all wearing headphones here, so like our wives don't have that many questions. It's fine. Well, ours don't, but somebody else's may. So, speaking of which, Louisville thirty-four, James Madison ten. Uh, <laughs> Wrong about this one. I don't. I don't really know what that transition was. It, just, it sounded funny in my head. Uh, yeah, we were wrong about this one, and but I, I will say this. I mean, it was it was ten ten at halftime. It was really in the second half that Louisville ran away with this game, um, and, and credit to them for doing so. That offense in the second half really just, I mean, put the pedal to the metal. Uh, four drives, uh, or five drives coming out of halftime was field goal, touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown. Like, yeah. that'll that'll do. So, credit to, that'll the, work. to the Cardinals. That'll work. Um, yeah, credit, credit to Louisville here. I mean, James Madison's passing game with Todd Santeo was not very good. And once Louisville went up a couple scores and they were in a must-pass situation with a quarterback who's not at 100%. That just was not going to be a winning recipe for them. So, yeah, I mean, credit to JMU for how they ran the ball, at least. Um, Percy Agile Obese. 24 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown. So, Mike, I don't know how that name is supposed to be pronounced, but I do know it's not supposed to be pronounced like that. <laughs> I don't know. Well... <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i would i would say that's not my that was not my worst effort no you, you've done worse you've done worse i'll give you that yeah uh tyon evans jawar jordan 27 carries for like 243 yards and a touchdown they uh louisville established it in this game they did you they did establish it you guys gave me a look there like i like i was speaking russian you know <laughs> Uh, I don't know what language that was. I don't think it was English. It it could have been Russian. He was you practicing for the elections tomorrow, or what? <laughs> Relax. Um, well, Percy was Russian. He ran for 102 yards. So, well done. Well Thank done. You. Thank All right. You. Uh, yeah, not a lot to say here other than Louisville is six and three. They're bowl eligible. Practicing for the elections tomorrow. <laughs> Practicing your Russian. Oh my God. Uh, Louisville's six and three. They have officially eclipsed their win total for the season, meaning maybe I should have gotten a little bit of action in on over five and a half at minus 170 or whatever it was. Um, I, they uh, they have kind of circled the wagons here and pulled it together. And I don't, I don't think that Scott Satterfield is in as much danger as we maybe thought they might have been. Not anymore, anyway. No. 
Um, my question about Louisville. Mm-hmm. Three games left at Clemson, home against NC State, at Kentucky. Yeah. Is Louisville done winning games? I don't think so. I kind of don't think so either. I don't think so. Um, with the way their defense is playing. Very I, good, by the way. Yes. I think they could cause a couple of those teams some problems, but especially mm-hmm. Kentucky, because Kentucky's mm-hmm. offensive line is dog water. They have I gotta a, see it, man. They have a terrible offensive line, Joey. A terrible. They know. cannot protect Will Levis, and Will Levis has not been very good when he's had time to throw. I get that it's an SEC school. I get that we historically are like Louisville can't really hang with Kentucky. I get all that. This is a really this is a good matchup up front for Louisville this year. It's a good matchup for Louisville up front. All I know is that if you've listened to this podcast for long enough, you know it is time to take the turkey out of the freezer and start thawing it in the fridge when I start saying things like, maybe this is the year that Louisville can hang with Kentucky. Because, damn it, like they always just get absolutely mauled by this Kentucky the up front. They don't have to be good. They just have to be bigger and stronger, and that's kind of what they are. And This is I, the year. Know, we'll see. I got to see is, it. I gotta this see is it. it. I'm telling you, this is the year. Sweet gray jerseys by Louisville in this game, by the way. They were. It was a little confusing because JMU wears gray jerseys too. They got like alt unis that. They wore the purples on the road. Yeah, I mean JMU's colors are pretty clean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pretty clean. Good uniform game. Yeah. Louisville thirty-four, James Madison ten. Mike, uh, anything else in week ten before we start giving out some awards? Cue the yakety sacks. Let's do it. Mike, the Go ACC moment of the week comes from our very own Tecmo Bowl. And this was, I forget this was a late third quarter or maybe in the fourth quarter. There was a sequence where Virginia Tech's offense stalled out as they were wont to do. And when they stall out, the thing that they do is they send out the punt unit. And when they do that, Georgia Tech sends out the punt return unit. And sometimes, you know, when these transitions happen, there's a little bit of confusion. And sometimes somebody has too many men on the field. And so... That happened for Georgia Tech. They had 12 men on the field. Uh, it wasn't really detected in real time. I believe Brent Pry maybe raised a question and said, hey, uh, was there too many men on the field? The ACC referees then go spend about four to five minutes of real time, like, pausing the game, holding it up. Let's review. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is that, like, it's it's a very, very easy thing to tell that there were 12 men. It, it's not like one of the things somebody's running off. Did he get off in time or anything like that? No. Tech had 12 men on the field. Like, it was very obvious. They spent forever reviewing this. They finally come back, and they announce it. And, you know, the, you know, illegal substitution on the defense. You know, 12 men on the field. Penalties declined. It was like, what, what, what are we spending a bunch of time on if we're just going to decline the penalty? So, to that, I say go ACC. Yeah, I, I will say, though, like, the four minutes did give Brent Price some time to slide in the DMs. <laughs> Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Of course. Not to mine, though. Go ACC to that hypothetically as well, man. Right. The uh, Brian Van Gorder Memorial, You Tried Award. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the Pitt-Syracuse game that Syracuse, I believe their last offensive possession ended in a safety. See, but Mike, there's a little more to it than that. What yes, had happened is. was... What had happened was uh, Pitt punted and downed the punt on the Syracuse one-yard line. The Syracuse offense comes out to start their drive, and they're in a bit of a shotgun formation. They've got a tight end off to the right, uh, off the right side of their their offensive line. Lined up over that tight end 
is one Devlin Alexander. Mike, if, if I ask you for a uh, a thumbs up, thumbs down on Devlin Alexander as a pass rusher, what, what would you say? I, I would go with a definitive thumbs up, Joey. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's yes. pretty good. He'll get after good the player. quarterback. Yeah. And if I asked you for a thumbs up, thumbs down on blocking Devlin Alexander with a tight end in one-on-one block coverage, thumbs up, thumbs down? I generally try to throw a couple guys at a defensive end that's going to be playing on Sundays. Right, yeah. Not not just a tight end in solo solo coverage. There. Correct. Well, Mike, Syracuse, they tried. They tried this, the, the tight end to block Devlin Alexander by himself, and uh, it, it went about as you think it might have, and uh, that was a safety. Yeah, I, just not good. <laughs> just not good. I, I might call that malpractice. I, I got something else that's malpractice. It's a new award I want to roll out here. Uh-oh. It's the Queen Elizabeth II Memorial You Died Award. <laughs> and this this one goes... <laughs> this one goes to the Clemson offense uh, when they substituted Cade Klubnik into the game. Oh, no. In the shadow of their own goalpost. And he threw the interception that set up Notre Dame on the doorstep when they scored and that was <laughs> that was the moment the Clemson offense died so um somebody just crashed their car listening to you say that Mike that's that's on you that wasn't too inappropriate <laughs> it wasn't that appropriate <laughs> I mean listen that's I've said worse that is, that is unfortunately true <laughs> Mike the Kobe Bryant Memorial uh, volume we, shooter of the week we award. Have, we have we have an award named after Kobe Bryant. That was not that bad. <laughs> Give me a break. Tough but oh. fair. Tough but fair. Tough but fair. The Kobe Bryant Memorial uh, Volume Shooter of the Week award goes to Sean Tucker, our guy. Not only ten carries for nineteen yards for a whopping not two yards per carry. He added two catches for three yards for a grand total of twelve touches for twenty-two yards. So that we say. Kobe. Kobe. Yikes. Mike, any other any other awards that you want to give out without prior editorial approval? Nope. <laughs> Producer Scott, is that going to get us canceled? or? I thought of that one on the think? fly. <laughs> Proud of you. Thank you. I've, I mean, Scott, I've are we prepped. canceled yet? I don't, think I don't think we're canceled. No. We're good. We're good. All right. Head, we're still okay. here. We're still, still on the air. We Somehow. got a definitive, a definitive head shake to it now, so we're good. You got a team of the week, Mike? Uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> sure. Not ACC Honorary school. ACC team. Yeah, I mean they they almost won the ACC two years ago. So uh, I'll give it to NC State. Okay. How about Pittsburgh? No. Okay, Notre Dame it is. They're <laughs> Notre fine. Dame it Whatever. Is. You, you you can give it to Pittsburgh. I will not. I will give it to NC State. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we lost. We 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 did lose our chance to give it to Miami. That that is true. I, I you know I passed that up. Yeah. Player of the week. Oh man, um, this is a tough one. I, I'm gonna go with probably Josh Downs because they actually won the game. Uh, 15 for 166 and a touchdown. He had a huge game. A.T. Perry, honorable mention. Uh, he doesn't get the award because they lost, but it wasn't his fault. 
12 for 159 and a touchdown. He was very good. Uh, can I give it to the combo of Zach Pyron and MJ Morris? No, you cannot. True, true freshman backup quarterbacks. That, overruled. Uh, went in there and got the win. <laughs> Over, overruled. Uh, uh, honorary mention to a non-ACC player, Benjamin Morrison, Notre Dame. Two interceptions, one of them for a touchdown. So That'll do. Yeah. Fine. If I can't give it to those guys, I'll give it to Emmett Moorhead from Boston College in a losing effort. He was very good. <laughs> so. I can hear the disappointment in your voice. I just have so many things to say, and we're just out of time. So <laughs> we, we are out of time. Uh, that's all I got on Week 10, unless you want to uh, recap. Apparently, Bowling Green might be going to a bowl game. I don't even. UConn, UConn too, by the way. So <laughs> that's what we're doing. Virginia Tech, on the other hand, is going to go 2-10. That's the <laughs> reality I'm living in. Well, I mean, again, if, if you're looking for a new head coach sometime soon, it sounds like Scott Leffler might I was be gonna uh, say, leading he's that had, program to success. He's had more head coach success than <laughs> the current head coach of Virginia Tech so far. But I listen, let's give it some time. Let's give it some time, see how it works out. I just think their priorities are not where they need to be at the moment. If I am not mistaken, Bowling Green, <laughs> and I'm not making this up. Don't do this. Bowling Bowling Green is 4-1 and one in MAC play with a point differential of negative 4. That's right. <laughs> that is incredible. It is the greatest sport on earth after all. <laughs> Go Falcons. We love you. Uh, Mike, that's all I got on week 10. Thorough. <laughs> Very thorough. Too thorough, arguably. Uh, all right. Let's get out of here. Let's go uh, come back and preview some week 11 action here sometime soon. Yes. We're on Twitter. I'm at FGRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel. SI together. We're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, go find us on YouTube. Search for Basketball Conference on YouTube and hit that subscribe button. Hit the bell. Uh, hit like. Do those things that YouTubers ask you to do. We have, last I checked, we have 78 subscribers. We are 22 away from getting a dedicated URL. So please go find us on YouTube. Just search for Basketball Conference. You'll see all of our podcasts uh, there. Uh, thanks to producer Scott putting together some sweet video editing uh, on that. So shout out to him. Yes, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, all the other places they find podcasts in the audio format if they so choose. Uh, you can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, where else can they find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference rate review. Find some of our podcasts there. Please do. Please do. And go to Instagram at bcpodcastacc. Yes. Instagram. A lot of well. good content there as well. So we really appreciate those who have done that. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? Uh, now. You want to come back and preview week 11? Yes. Let's do it. All right. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. And producer Scott, by the way. Producer Scott, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, producer Scott, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon to preview week 11. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.